Now you'll notice in the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon looked at things as a man would look at things under the sun, as a natural man would look at things. And he said, of course, that, that the worldly, ungodly man walks along and he's fat and sumptuous and has everything going his way and never has any problem, never has any uh, difficulties whatsoever, just seems to glide through life without difficulty. But he says he falls in the grave at the end. And he said, now the godly man comes along and he's persecuted and tried and tested and struggles and fights and just barely makes it through and he falls in the grave at the end too. He said, if life worth, he says, life isn't worth living. If I could live a thousand years twice, life still wouldn't be worth living. Well, that's as the natural man looks at it. But the godly man looks at it differently. Acts the 20th chapter, beginning with verse 22. Paul the apostle says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. How many of you would like to have that kind of prophecy over you? Brother, I've got a word from the Lord for you. You're going to go in bondage, and you're going to be beaten, and you're going to be put in prison, and you're going to have need, and you're going to be shipwrecked, and you're going to... Hey, brother, you can save that one, you know. It's supposed to be for edification and all these things, you know. Those weren't very edifying that Paul got. But none of these things move me. That doesn't change my determination one bit. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things bother me because he knew what was coming in the days ahead. He looked beyond what he experienced right here. Look over in Romans now, the 8th chapter. Paul the Apostle speaking again. Romans 8, beginning with verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Now get this verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm not the least bit concerned what I'm facing up ahead right now, he says, because it's not even comparable to what I'm going to receive in that day. What's going to happen in me through Jesus Christ? So, when you and I are going through these experiences, we have to remember that our life here is just like a vapor that appeareth for a moment, James says, and vanishes away. I mean, when you think of eternity, well, already time, as far as time is concerned, we believe, according to Usher's timetable, that Adam and Eve were 6,000 years ago, 4,000 years before Christ. Okay, now, we've lived here, I mean, men have been on the earth for 6,000 years, and that's not even a drop in the length of eternity. And we've only been here a few of those years. If we lived to be a hundred, it would be minuscule. A hundred years of trials and testings to realize that we would spend eternity with our Lord. Not worth it to be compared, is it? If I told you I was going to have to give you one shot, by giving you that shot, you'd never have another disease the rest of your life. But that shot would be painful. How many of you would be willing to take that shot if you knew you could be guaranteed never to be sick another day in your life? You say, hey man, lay it on there. <laughs> Never sick again? That'd be fantastic. What, what are you saying? I'll take the pain for what's coming. 
This is what Paul says. Take the pain for what's coming. It's worth it. Not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. You ever stop and think what it's going to be like to be with the Lord? I don't know how many times in the last couple of years I've just remembered how Jeff said to me as we were going home and I spoke on heaven and he said, you know, heaven is sounding better than healing, Daddy. Sounding so much better than me than healing right now. And I started thinking, you know, there's no more pain there. There's no more sorrow there. His eyes are perfect there. His hearing is perfect there. No more sorrow, no more sadness, no more pain for the former things are, are passed away. And it will never again happen to him. He'll never have to go through it again. There's no cancer in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. I mean, some people scrape and dig and scratch just to get a little bit of gold in their hands. I was at the mall today and the, that one gold shop was just filled with people buying these chains at 50% off. Get a little gold. You know what? We're going to wipe our feet off on pure gold, transparent gold in heaven. Scripture says that the streets are going to be made of transparent gold. That means no impurities in it whatsoever. It's not going to have that value that we, we crave here on earth. So it's worth it. Whatever we have to put up with now, it's worth it because of what's going to be revealed in Jesus Christ. But the next thing I want you to know concerning affliction is that it's temporary. Even if it lasts the rest of your life, it's temporary. You won't take it with you to heaven, that is for sure. Psalm 30. Look back at Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. Psalm 30, verse 4 and 5. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. For His anger endureth but a moment. In His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Joy cometh in the morning. It doesn't make any difference how dark it is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff have comforted me. 1 Corinthians 10.13 that I quoted a while ago to you. For there hath no temptation, file, or test taken you, but such as is common to man. Every other man and woman on earth probably has gone through it, basically. But God is what? Look at it. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Memorize that verse. That's one of the first ones we ever had to learn when I was in Bible college. 1 Corinthians 10.13. But God is faithful. Get that down into your heart. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with that temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. That's a promise. God's faithful. It's, it's just temporary. And one more step. The seventh one is some people are hardened by trials and temptations. How many of you know that the scripture says in that time and time again that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Someone said years ago that the same sun that melts butter petrifies wood. You think about that. There's some people when they go through hard times and afflictions and, and tribulations and trials and testings, they become very hard and bitter. And In fact, the Bible says that in the book of Revelation, when finally there's going to be hailstones come out of heaven and the rocks are going to be, mountains are going to be moved and, and people are going to be dying all over, that the people are going to harden their hearts and they're going to curse God and wave their fists at Him and say, hide us in the rocks so that He can't find us. They won't repent. They'll just get harder and harder and harder. And Pharaoh, every time God performed a miracle through Moses, Pharaoh would recant, but then his heart would harden all the more. 
Now he had the same truth that the person right alongside him could have had and, and accepted the tribulation and repented and changed. I went, to buy, I went to church with my sister one night and I had a buddy that I'd run with. Tried my best to get to me to see him again when I was back in Fremont last year and he wouldn't answer my phone calls and when I'd go to his house nobody would come to the door. His folks had called and said I was in town. I don't think he wanted to talk to me. Because he knew that when I became a Christian my whole life changed overnight. And he said, if my folks are Christians, I'd just soon go to hell. And man, he went right on down the tube. Really lived it up. But that man had heard the same gospel I heard. He heard the same message I heard. It hardened him. And it softened my heart. Now, let me tell you something. God judges each one of us according to that response. Nobody has to respond to the gospel. No one has to trust in the Lord. No one has to say, Lord, I just trust you and I'm yielding to you. We can get as mad as we want to. We can double up our fists. We can scream at God. I told you about a time I was stunned when a, a man one time stood in his living room, went just like this. He said, go ahead, just smash me like a bug. You get a big kick out of that stuff. Just have at it. Have fun. I thought, oh, the foolishness of that. How do you fight God? Think about it. My mind absolutely says tilt will not compute when I even think of saying something against God. Pharaoh's heart got harder and harder and harder, and others are softened by it. Look back in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. I want to read beginning with the 21st verse. Nehemiah speaking, he says, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations, and didst divide them into corners, so they possessed the land of Sihon, and the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multipliest thou as the stars of heaven, and brought, broughtest them into the land concerning that which thou had, hadst promised to their fathers, that they should go in to possess it. So the children went in and possessed the land, and thou subduest them before them, the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gavest them into their hand with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities and a fat land, and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled, and became fat, and delighted themselves in the, thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. And rebelled against thee. Now here God had given them all these blessings. But they were rebellious and turned against him. And cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee and they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them and in the time of their trouble when they cried unto thee Thou heardest them from heaven, and according to thy manifold mercy thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. He's talking about the judges that came. They had judges, Samson and some of the others that came and, and saved them from their enemies. When they would repent, when they were in bondage and taken off into captivity, they would repent and God would send in his mercy, send them someone to deliver them again. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. Therefore leftest thou them in the land, hand of their enemies, so that they had the dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies, and testified against them that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. Yet they dealt proudly and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments. What if a man do 
he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder, and hardened their neck, and would not hear. In other words, they went, no, sir, no way. You ever had somebody try to, you lay your hand on the shoulder, and they go like this, get your hand off me? He's saying that's what they did to God. No, that's a prophet come around, they get mad at him. Let me tell you something, there's people today that do not want to know what the word says. They don't want to hear what the word says. They get mad at you when you tell them what the word says. Verse 30. Yet many years didst thou forbear them, and testifiedest against them by thy spirit in thy prophets, yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the lands. I want to tell you something. There are a lot of people who have walked with the Lord in the past, who have turned their back on the Lord and then gotten into trouble, and the Lord asked, they ask for forgiveness, the Lord brings them back and do the same thing over again. The scripture says, my spirit will not always strive with man. There comes a time when God says, I've had it with you. You don't mean business? Forget it. And he just turned them over to their enemies. Then the last verse, the last thing I want to show you, the eighth thing, is found in James, the first chapter. James chapter 1, and that is, those who endure it are blessed. James 1.12 Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried... He shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now that word tried there is the same word in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That word tried actually means approved, tested, tried, and approved. How many of you have purchased materials or equipment from time to time or a tool or something and it says tested by clerk number such and such? See that little tag in the box? So the machine was done, passed down the line and somebody had to test it and make sure it worked and they put their stamp of approval on there to make sure it works. Remember that ad about fruit of the loom? This woman had to stretch them in every direction, you know, and she had less her, if her number wasn't on it, they weren't right. But when her number was on it, they were absolutely right. Well, God says here, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. That means, first of all, you're going to experience it. Secondly, while you're experiencing it, you're going to endure it. You're going to trust God through it, all the way through. And that's how you find out that you'll be approved of the Lord. He said, for if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. The first thing that the afflictions do in our life, the scripture says, is found in Mark, the fourth chapter. Would you turn there with me? Mark, the fourth chapter, beginning with the fourteenth verse. The sower soweth the seed, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Now listen, afterward, the, the purpose of affliction and trials and tests is to test our the sincerity of our commitment to Jesus Christ. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for what? For the word's sake, immediately they are offended. The Living Bible says immediately they wilt, they die. They just drop out. You see, the affliction, again, can either strengthen them or weaken them. They determine. The same 
like I said, the same sun that melts butter, hardens, petrifies wood. And when affliction comes on me, I've been in the ministry long enough, I have seen every reaction to the Word of God. I have seen people sit side by side and listen to the same portion of Scripture, the same message, get up and one becomes hardened and the other just breaks down before God and their whole life is transformed. You see, these same ones, it, it wasn't because of the affliction, it was because of what? The shallowness of the ground, that's right. The ground, the soil in our heart. That's why in the Old Testament it says that we should break up the fallow ground. Get the stones out of the field. Get the, the logs out of the field. Get everything out of the ground that should be. Dig when you plow. Plow deeply. Break up that fallow ground deeply so that when the seed comes, the roots can go way down in. You see, it has nothing to do with just the affliction. It's talking about the condition of the heart. And he says the, the, the some of it that falls on that shallow ground when afflictions and when persecutions come... The reason it wilts and dies is because there's no place for the roots to go. The ground is too shallow. And that's why we need to say, dear God, deepen, deepen, deepen the soil of my heart to receive the word of God. That it will bring forth fruit in the days ahead. That when persecutions and trials and tests come, I won't wilt and die. I've had people say, hey, I didn't know. When I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't know all this was going to happen to me. No, forget it. I just think shallow ground. Remember, 75% of the seed that went out, Jesus said, was worthless. It died. Only 25% brought forth fruit. The second one is found in James, the fifth chapter, verses 10 and 11. James says, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of blessing and miracles and wonders. You don't hear this verse on, I don't, I've never seen this verse on a refrigerator door, have you? Or stuck up on somebody's dashboard. Have any of you ever carried this verse around in your pocket to memorize it? How many of you have ever seen on a dashboard, my God shall supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Well, we love that verse, but we need to also have this verse for balance. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience or steadfastness. In other words, you saw them go through affliction, but you saw with that affliction there was steadfastness. There was patience. They waited upon the Lord. They depended on the Lord in the midst of the storm. They said, God will bring me through this. Behold, we count them blessed or happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of good, a tender mercy. Count them happy or blessed which endure. How many sermons have you heard in your lifetime on enduring the suffering and the tribulation and the tests and trials of life? I've heard a lot of them who said the minute you confess that there is such a thing in your life, you're living in doubt and unbelief and you've opened the door and Satan's going to destroy you. You have to be very careful. There's balance here. I don't think a person should go around saying all the time, well, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to go under. You can say, I'm going through a real time of testing. I'm going through a real time of trial. But my God is going to see me through. He never fails. His way is perfect. He is absolutely faithful. He said, if I'll be faithful to him, even if I'm not faithful to him, he's faithful still. Now, what are you doing? You're saying, no, but the strength and the provision is not in me. It's in Jesus Christ. And my trust is in the Lord, not in my strength. He will give me the strength. He will give me the patience. He will give me the endurance. And I will see the other way out because he said he wouldn't put on me more than I can bear and he'll make a way of escape. Way to escape, yes. Now, if you and I don't learn patience 
and don't learn endurance will be defeated every single time it comes along. And we'll not be able to minister to others. But he says, first of all, in the Word of God, that trials and tests and temptations come to test our sincerity in following after the Lord. And God says, you're blessed if you can endure because then you're like the prophets of old. The second thing, the second purpose of affliction coming into our life is to refine, purify, and increase fruitfulness in your life. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48.10 Behold, God's speaking here now. Let's go back to verse 9. For my name's sake will I defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. It's interesting in that verse in the Living Bible where it says, I have refined thee, but not with silver. They put it, but found no silver there. You are worthless. God says, I have run you through the refinery, and I found out there's nothing worthwhile in you. There's no silver in you. When you take metal and you heat it up to a good temperature, after a while something will come out. If there's any metal in there, it'll come out flowing out silver or gold or whatever it is. God says, I put you in the furnace and there was nothing of value in you. You're no good. But God tested them to see if they were any good or not. And I want you to know that God will bring tests into our lives to see if there is any value in us in our relationship with him or for the kingdom of God's purposes. Of the purposes of the kingdom of God. It's to refine us, to purify us, and increase our fruitfulness. John 15. Now we know what verse, what chapter that is, don't we? I am the vine, ye are the branches. That's right. John 15, 2. Let me just start with verse 1. I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he taketh away. Beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth or cleanseth it. He purges it or he prunes it. He cuts it back severely so that it might bring forth more fruit. Last year, when the freeze came, uh, I have one navel orange tree left. And I knew that it had gotten tall enough that I could not cover it anymore unless I wanted to build a skyscraper. And I didn't have the time or the energy to do it. So I got my chainsaw. And I severely pruned that thing. I went in there and just cut all the branches off above here, just, just right through the tree, and I thought, I hope this poor thing survives. Well, I mean to tell you, since last year, that thing has just skyrocketed. Brand new branches everywhere up there. No fruit up there yet. All the fruit, the only fruit that was left on was on the bottom branches, but I chopped that thing off. The root system got stronger, and so it could throw more forth better branches. Now, if I start to get a freeze again, I'm going out there that chainsaw and cut it off again, and those roots will go down deeper and deeper. You know, it, it, the tree says, don't do this to me. But in the long run, it'll bear better fruit because it'll have a stronger root system to feed the branches. And he says, when you do bear fruit, I'm not going to stand back and say, isn't that wonderful? The way you bear? I'm going to prune you harder so you'll bring forth more fruit. I'm sure the plant doesn't enjoy being pruned. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise thou, not thou the chastening of the Lord. Now, I'm told in the Greek that that word chastening there actually means training or instruction of the Lord. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. That means convinced or convicted of him in the, some of the translations. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and now watch out for that next word, scourgeth. That means whip or flog. You mean God will whip or flog? I didn't say it. The Bible says it. For whom the Lord loveth. Now, if you don't get whipped or flogged once in a while, he must not love you, okay? He scourgeth. Every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, there's that inward instruction again. Chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? You know, I've had people say to me, I have never had a spanking in my whole life. And I have to bite my lips so I don't say, I really feel sorry for you. Because you have never known what it is to be corralled or brought into correction or put on a short lease. You've never learned what it is to be trained up. Talked up, maybe, but trained up. And when the next generation comes along, you'll have no concept. If that child goes out of, gets out of bounds, you'll have no concept of how to redirect that child. But if you be without chastisement or instruction, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. That's strong language, isn't it? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our what? For our profit. When God chastens us, it's for our profit. That we might be the partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. In other words, we profit. Now that word exercise there is word we, from which, in the Greek, from which we get the word gymnasium today. Exercise. Peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. In other words, if you have gone through this exercise, if you've gone through this experience, if you've been exercised in judgment, in scourging, in testing, then the blessings are yours. It doesn't seem joyous now, but it will be. And it, the end result is good. Verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if any, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth. Who is that? Moses. Talk about those in the Old Testament. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Jesus. They said if the Jews didn't get away with the Old Testament and God chastened them, how much more do you think you and I are going to be chastened if we don't listen to the Lord? Thirdly, to increase spiritual power, turn over one page to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, know that God is picking on you when you fall into diverse temptations. Oh, it's a little different, isn't it? My brethren, count it all joy 
when you fall into divers temptations. He's not talking about sin here. He's talking about situations like Abraham with Isaac. God tested Abraham, and he came through. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her complete or perfect work, that ye may be perfect, mature, and entire, wanting nothing. He says it's for our good that these, these afflictions that come upon us are to increase our spiritual power, make us stronger in the Lord. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. 1 Peter 5, beginning with verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walking, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. He's saying you're not going through anything that people in the world don't go through. The afflictions that you go through, people are going through them every day. I mean, when I, when I walk into some of these situations, I've, I've seen again just recently where one person, they find out they have a, a tumor on the brain and another one finds out that they're going, to, they're going blind. And another fellow the other day I was talking with uh, found out he has an infection in his leg and they can't stop the infection. He may lose his leg. And, and I, you know, that's happening to everybody today. He says, you're not having anything come against you. He says, when, even when the enemy comes against you in these situations, you come against him, but you stand no matter what. You know, when you say, God, you either deliver me from this or else I'm not going to. No, you don't do that. No. Does the pot say to the potter, you've got to do it this way or that way? He's the potter and we're the clay. We're just to bend to his will in our lives, knowing that he loves us with a love. And I'll tell you something. I really believe those that were afflicted and go through trials and tests all their life, I think that when they get to heaven, they're going to know joy and release and blessings like many of us will, won't even experience. Verse 10, but the God of all, what? Why would he call him that? What is grace? Power to know and to do God's will, Bill Gothard said. Power to know and to do God's will. The God of all grace that gives you the power to do what he wants you to do. Who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have rejoiced and blessed and praised and jumped up and down. Is that what it says? After you have confessed, after you have rebuked all the enemy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be an antithesis. I'm trying to take an aggressive position here to show you that there's balance in the Word of God. What does it say? After that ye have suffered. Suffering comes between grace and glory, somebody said one time. I, I, I want to remember that. We receive God's grace and we're going to receive His glory, but in between, suffering comes. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Excuse me, let's go back and do that again called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You and I will not be established, strengthened, and settled until we learn how to rest in the Lord in the midst of our tribulations and trials and testings. You can say it doesn't make any difference. I've learned to be exalted. I've learned to be abased. And in all those situations, I've become content. Now, therefore, I can do all things through Christ. Why would we need strengthening if we didn't go through affliction? And he says that the going through those afflictions cause us to be settled and strengthened, perfected, and settled. Relaxed. 
Doesn't make a difference. Anywhere or nowhere. Anything or nothing. How many of you know there are people that will say today, well, I will serve the Lord, but I'm not about to do this, or I'm not about to go there. And when I hear that, I think, oh, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that. I always laugh and kid a little bit when I have said in the past, Lord, please don't ever call me to Chicago, Illinois. You know, that's, and to this day, I always say, thank you, Father, for really not doing that. But if he called me to Chicago, Illinois, I'd have to go to Chicago, Illinois. How many of you know that? And I'd have to say, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to declare the gospel in Chicago, Illinois. But I used to drive around that city and say, Lord, please don't ever call me to this city. But I never, never, ever, would never, ever drive around that city and say, dear God, anywhere else on earth, but don't you dare call me to Chicago, Illinois. Ah, I won't do that, see. My mama didn't raise no dummy. I learned a long time ago, anywhere, Lord, whatever you say. To humble and correct. Second Samuel. The next thing is to humble and correct. Second Samuel, chapter 12, beginning of the verse 7. We're talking about David after he had sinned and Nathan coming to him. Nathan was very, very wise when he came to him. He gave him an illustration, first of all, and called upon David's wisdom and fairness and said, you know, this, there's this man that had thousands of sheep and then his neighbor only had one little ewe lamb. And uh, when some friends came in to visit, this rich man had his servants go out and he climbed over the fence and picked up this one man's little single lamb and took it and slaughtered it and fed it to his neighbor. What should we do? He said, that man should die. That man should die, any guy that would do that. Nathan just took his big old bony finger and stuck it right on the end of David's nose and he said, thou art the man. That's in verse 7. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, by the way, this was a word of knowledge that came to Nathan the prophet. Let me say again, David had every legal right to send Uriah to the front lines because he was the commander-in-chief. Like right now, the president says, go, and they go. He's commander-in-chief. But God knew what was in his heart. God told the prophet this, and he came to him with a word of knowledge. I'll tell you something. If you want to get stripped right quick before God, you have a prophet of God walk up to you and just uh, just tell you everything is going on. It can scare you. Now, therefore, this is the end result of it. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thee, thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and before the son. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion unto the, to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Who struck the child? He didn't say the devil struck the child. 
a child, the Lord allowed that child to die. The end result of this chapter in 2 Samuel is found in Psalm 51, when David cried out against thee and thee only have I sinned. You see, the chasing that came was to humble and to correct David. God chastened him because of his disobedience. But again, there are many people who say, well, David committed adultery, yes, but oh, the horrible price that David had to pay. The second thing is David quit it. He repented. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, O Lord. And I say it again, anytime you and I will repent, turn away from, quit doing any sin, confess to God and quit it, God will forgive it and put it under the blood, never to be remembered against us again. The next thing, God has allowed chastening to provide examples to you and me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Provide examples to us. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all did eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, let me just stop right there and just tell you what he was saying. And here's this whole nation of Israel came out of Egypt. They all saw and heard and experienced the very same thing. They all saw the miracles of God. They all heard the same voice. They all saw the same cloud on the mountain. They all saw the sea open up. They all went through. They probably poked their finger in the water at the fish that were swimming around the edge. They all saw all these things happen. So he's saying they all started off on a level of ground. They all got the same treatment. They were all delivered. They all saw Miriam and the women dancing afterwards. I'm trying to show you something here. I mean, there are, there are people that will come and sit in church month after month after hear the same messages that you hear hear the same scripture verses that you hear, go home and read the same Bible that you read, and they'll be totally different. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, they'd all experienced the same things. Let me tell you something. I am absolutely amazed when I look back and see today young people who were exposed to all the Bible teaching that I had in Bible college. They sat in the same chapels. They heard the same great speakers from all over the world, missionaries and spiritual statesmen, men of God who had been serving the Lord for many, many years, they felt the revival power there where young people would fall down, prostrate on the floor and weep and cry before God. And they have gone out of that school with the same degree I have. They've gone out with the same education I have. And today they are as far away from God as they can possibly get. Their lives are a total disaster. Married two and three times. Some of them have, I can't even tell you the immorality they've gotten into. I think, dear God, how? They had the same experience. That's why the Word of God says, Let him that hath ears hear what the Spirit saith to the church. Why would he say that? Because there's some people that can't hear. Some people that won't hear. Let him that hath ears hear. He didn't mean let them in the door. He meant open your ears. Pull the earwax out. Listen. How many of you know it can go in but not register? Through the ear gate and the eye gate and not register. There have been people I have warned and talked to and prayed with and encouraged and taught them the word of God. And I know they heard it because they would respond to me. I know they could see the verses. I'd hold it up in front of them. And they'd just go right on down the street. And someone else, I'll come along and quote a scripture verse to them and they take off like a rocket. Must be God. God's not fair. No, no, no. Don't blame God. 
As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let me read verse 5 again. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the extent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. God said, I didn't write those things down just to have an X-rated book. I wrote them down to warn you what I think about these things. So don't ever come to me later and say, God, I didn't know you didn't like that. He says, these are for your example. See what I did back there? I, the Lord God, change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God says, these things are here for your benefit. Neither, first of all, he says what? Don't be lustful. The Word of God says, don't even let those things even be named amongst Christians. These things should not even... Let me tell you something. Today, it is absolutely atrocious, the things that are being named that's happening amongst Christians in the area of lust. He said, don't even let those things be named amongst Christians. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Uh, what is idolatry? Well, that's when you take a piece of wood and you cover it with wood, gold and silver, and put little diamonds and precious stones on it, and you set it up in the altar and you kneel down and pray to it. Is that idolatry? It can be, but that's just the grossest form of it, I guess. That's the, not the grossest, but the most obvious form. But you know what? There are some people that worship their back pocket, some men that worship their back pocket. You know, that's where a lot of preachers really foul up. They try to get into men's back pockets a lot of times, and I found out a long time ago, if you get a hold of their heart, their heart is attached to their pocketbook. And you just get God to get a hold of their heart, and it'll take care of their pocketbook. But some people worship this thing. What's in it? The plastic, and the money. Some people worship the thing they drive down the street in. Some people worship the house that they live in. Some people worship the very job they have. Some men worship their wives, and some wives worship their husbands. What do you mean by worship? Anything, anybody any situation, any possession that you put before God and make more important than God is an idol. There are parents that hold their children more precious than the Lord. Lord, please don't call my children over to my head. Lord, I, I, just, I just want to protect them all the rest of my life. Don't let them get away, Lord. You know what you're actually saying? God, I don't trust you. You don't take care of my kids. I've got to take that responsibility. You see, in reality, before they're ever born, you're supposed to give them to the Lord. Lord, they're yours. Now, you've given me the responsibility to train them up in the way they should go and teach them the Word of God and lead them to Christ at the earliest possible age. But I'm going to be praying, Lord, fill them with the Holy Spirit, give them wisdom, give, give them discernment, give them understanding, and put a burden in their heart somewhere, Lord, wherever it is. If it's here, anywhere, Lord, but just use them for the glory of God. Give them back to the Lord. Let them go. I've known of parents that would not let their children go off to a Christian Bible college only to lose them later on and have them turn away from the Lord. He says, I've shown you all these examples in the Old Testament. What does idolatry consist of? Idolatry. What, was, what were some of the things? They went over to the foreign nations and worshipped some of their false gods. How many of you know just outside of the city of Jericho that somebody committed idolatry? What did he do? He coveted some things. Above God said, now that's sacred. You don't touch those things. That's sacred for the Lord's work. And he took it and he buried it under his tent. He began to crave and be covetous of gold and garments. And buried them. Even though he knew the Lord said not to do that. So disobedience on his part, covetousness on his part. But he put them before the Lord and took them. 
in disobedience to God's Word. He said, these things are written for your sake and mine so that we'll not do these things. Now, verse 8, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now, what were they doing when that happened? That they were committing fornication with the daughters of Moab. That's right. They would go there. And what would happen, many times the daughters of Moab would have them go into the temple with them and throw a little bit of incense on the altar. That was required for them. You see, they had what they called temple prostitutes in that day. And that was kind of exciting for the Jewish men. They would go out of their own nation where no one knew where they were. And to go into these, the women say, sure, I'll be glad to have a relationship with you. But first of all, let's go in and get the blessing of our God on this. And you just throw a little bit of incense on the altar. And God says, don't you do that. Don't you get involved in moral uncleanness like that. Now, I'm telling you, I've shown you what I do in the Old Testament. 23,000 were killed in the Old Testament. I really wonder today what would happen in the evangelical church if God would send his spirit through and begin to judge what's happening. Now listen, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to tell you I'm reading what's happening in the church. I'm reading the polls that are being taken. I'm hearing that the majority, a vast number of our, not majority, but a vast number of our young people, a large percentage, are saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with premarital relationships anymore. Nothing. I mean, after all, we've got to learn how to relate with one another. God says, boy, don't you commit fornication. Some of them did. Paul says, don't be deceived. Fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. That's why I keep telling people, don't grumble, don't gripe, rejoice in the Lord. Now, again, he says these things that he allowed to happen in the Old Testament are for our benefit. How many of you know that if you've gone through a difficult time and you've been tested and tried and then chastened of the Lord, when somebody else starts to walk in that direction, you come up and say, brother, can I share something with you? Sister, can I share something with you? Let me tell you what happened to me. And let, let me tell you, it's not worth it. That's what Peter said, Jesus said to Peter, when, when you go, you're going to go be sifted by Satan. When you're recovered, strengthen your brethren. And when you get over to 1st, 2nd Peter, you find out that he is using that very experience to try to strengthen others. I want to tell you something. God hates murmuring. What's murmuring? Well, I'll get it. It's stupid white stuff on the ground every morning. Goodness, I'd sure love to have a steak. I don't know why we have to live in this kind of a house when other people got another kind of a house. So that's murmuring. Thank God I've got a roof over my head. Thank God I've got apple boxes that don't collapse under my bed. One of the great tragedies, I, and if young, young couples just getting ready to get married, I'd really get down on this and stay on it for a long time. Many young people today feel like when they get married, they should step right in where their parents are today in what, all their possessions, and so they go clear down into debt to have these nice things. I mean, that, that's not necessary. Early Salvation Army furniture is fine to get started. Whatever you need. You know, that has nothing to do with your relationship. But we're so concerned about what other people think about us today more than what God would think about us. I wish more young people, for example, would say, I believe that God would have us get out of debt. I'm going to take whatever steps are necessary to get out of debt completely. If we have to even lower our life standard of living, whatever it takes, we've got to get out of debt. God wants us to get out of debt. I want to tell you, with the circumstances and situation and the markets and everything that are happening right now, I hope that if there's any way at all that you can get out of debt, you'll get out of debt. Now all these things, verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. 
Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Now, let me emphasize again. There is no temptation taken you. Are you going through a trial? Are you going through a test? Are you going through a chastening right now? Begin to ask around. Do you know of anyone else in the world that's ever gone through what I'm going through right now? I had to do that. When Beverly passed away and Jeff passed away, for many days I would take the newspaper and open it up and I would look for the obituary. I'd say, Lord, here's another mother that passed away. Here's another daughter that passed away. Here's a son that passed away. Here's a baby that passed away. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common a man. But that next phrase is what you and I have to declare every day. But God is who will not tempt, suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But just like the others that go through, they have to come through it. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now God said all those things that happened to them back there, and they went through some tough times. They went through them so that we could learn. Can we learn? Someone said the one thing we learn from history is that we never learn anything from history. But God says, remember, look back, see these things so that you'll learn and not have to go through the same thing they went through. Next, to show love, his love and concern. Proverbs, the third chapter. God allows afflictions to come to show his love and concern. Let the Lord neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he what? Correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. The Lord does this, allow, allow this to happen in our lives in order that he might correct us and show his love and concern for us to be what he wants us to be. Turn to Revelation, the third chapter, in the 19th verse. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, the Lord says the reason he allows these things to come into our lives many times is chastening so that we'll stop what we're doing and turn around. To show his love and concern. Then, finally... To give rewards. It allows affliction and chastening to give rewards. Romans the 8th chapter, verse 17. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. He said when you and I go through chastening and we're faithful and we're steadfast and we have patience and we endure that in that day, if we suffer with him, we'll also reign with him. We'll receive a reward for anything that we go through here on earth. We don't do anything without knowing that in that day he will reward us accordingly. That has to be the encouragement. Jesus, despising the shame, the cross, endured the cross, despised the shame, because he saw what was coming afterwards. It was worth it. Songwriter said it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Beginning in verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sake that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. 
For which cause we faint not, but though the, our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, whatever we're going through here, in comparison to what we're going to receive in that day, it's just a light affliction. And we see people go through some terrible things, but God's Word says that's just a light affliction in comparison. If I said to you, for example, could I just take a needle and stick it in your hand once? you say, absolutely not. If I give you $5, can I take a needle and stick it in your hand once? No. If I give you $5 million, could I just stick a needle? Well, now, maybe, you know. All of a sudden, uh, I think I could put up with a needle. How about if I give you $20 million? Have at both of them. Which one do you want? You know, $20 million. Now, this is what Paul, the writer Paul, is saying here. He's saying, compare what you've got coming in comparison to what you're going through. It's just a light affliction. And it's very temporal. These things that we have here on earth, whether it be our loved ones, whether it be our possessions, whether it be a position in life, these things are nothing in comparison to heaven. We think that they're wonderful, we think that they're nice to have, and we, you know, we try to achieve and, and hit some goals, which I believe God wants us to do, not to set our hearts on them, but to use the talents and abilities we have, and as God returns the blessing to us, it's wonderful. But always remember that these things will have no meaning whatsoever when we stand before the Lord. Remember me telling you about after we painted the kitchen? I was standing there with Jody and Jeff, and I said, Oh, I wish Mama Beverly could come back and see this kitchen. She always hated that green color in here. It'd sure be nice for her to come back and see it. And they, they both just stood and looked at me, and I said, What's the matter? I said, You've got to be kidding. She, wouldn't, she couldn't care less about this kitchen right now. I thought, Well, it was important to her what color this kitchen was at one time. That's why I wanted to get it repainted, you know? And I got thinking, You know, she couldn't care less if I'd have painted it watermelon red or yucky green anymore. Why? Because she's gone through her light affliction. Somebody says, I'll bet she knows everything's going on back there on earth. I said, I hope that God she doesn't. Because when I go to heaven, I don't want to have to look back and see all this mess anymore. He says, no more sorrow, no more heartache for the former things are passed away. Bless God. Oh, and get sentimental and say, oh, I hope she just watched me. Well, get serious. I mean, when I get to heaven, I forget it back there. Not worthy to be compared to word of God says. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life when he is tried. And that word tried means approved. It's the same word in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourselves approved unto God. It means approved. For when he is approved, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that what? Love him. God's gonna, not going to give crowns to people that don't love him, I'll assure you. First Peter, the first chapter, beginning with the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept, that's not a period there, see? 
reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold blessings. Manifold what? That word manifold means many colored, many types, various, like variegated temptations, trials, tests, life is short, full of trouble. See, that's what Job said. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He said when you come out of it, you'll be tested and tried and it'll bring glory to the Lord in that day when you stand before him. In the midst of it all, you say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Forget not all of his benefits. Forgiveth all my iniquities, healeth all my diseases, on and on and on and on. But this is the stand that God wants us to be able to have in the midst of the storm. Verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. Start thinking the way God wants you to think. You know, some people have such an open mind, anything can fall into it. And it says, discipline your mind. Don't let yourself go around grumbling and griping and complaining. Begin to rejoice and declare that God is faithful in the midst of our affliction. And he'll bring us out. You know, there's not a time when God's going to bring a person out unless they're, they're expecting and in faith believing God to bring them out. Every time they rejoice, God gives the victory when you rejoice in the Lord. Maybe not the way we want it, but it's always the right way. First Peter, the fourth chapter, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. But rejoice, really be glad, in other words, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, that actually means be cursed or cussed at, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on, the, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now, there's many, so many verses in the scripture that tells us that afflictions are going to come, trials and tests are going to come, but they're for our good. And that God is going to strengthen us. He's going to establish us. He's going to make us to become stronger. And out of it, we're going to bless others. And when we stand before him, we're going to be rewarded for it. We shouldn't go around looking for trouble, expecting trouble, confessing trouble. But when trials and tests come, we must realize that it is for our good. And when it's all said and done, maybe the Lord will say to us, now you go and strengthen your brethren. You encourage them. Let me tell you something. In the days ahead, it doesn't make any difference what happens. God's grace is still sufficient. I mean, if, if the Lord, if, if you knew tomorrow your house is going to be taken away from you, your car is going to be taken away from you, all your possessions will be taken away from you, and, and let's say they instituted a number that you're going to have to take, and then the front of it said 666, you said, I can't do that. Let me tell you right now, there's many people in church that are going to just fall away. No way am I going to take that. I mean, I, I can't. I've got, to, I've got babies. I've got to feed my babies. I mean, after all, 